thank you so much uh, for being here this morning. Today, we're going to continue in our series on the Holy Spirit. We've entitled uh, this uh, series Paraclete. As we've already learned, Paraclete is just another name or a translation of the name uh, for the Holy Spirit. And uh, as we've been talking about the Holy Spirit, we've been learning a lot together. Today, we're going to talk about, we're going to move a little bit further into that conversation. But one of the, the main things that I want you to get out of today's message is that when it comes to the Holy Spirit, specifically when it comes to uh, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, which we're going to dig into today, a person's mindset about the gifts of the Holy Spirit reveals their maturity. That really is, is what we're going to get into today. For a person, their mindset, how they understand and how they think about the gifts of the Holy Spirit really tells us about their maturity. Everything we've learned so far has led us up to that. Where I left off in last week's message really led us to that understanding. Because a person who is immature when it comes to their walk with the Lord, struggles with understanding the purpose and the work of the gifts of the Holy Spirit in their lives. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 20 says, Brothers and sisters, stop thinking like children. Specifically in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, Paul is talking about the gifts of the Holy Spirit and the operation of the gifts of the Holy Spirit and how we as believers should interact with the gifts of the Holy Spirit in the church. Stop thinking like children. In regards to evil, be infants. In other words, be innocent as it relates to evil things. There's absolutely nothing wrong with being innocent. One of... Um, one of the moments that I love as a parent is when something, uh, when I'm, I'm with my kids and something is said that is, that is off color or something is said or a joke is made or a lighthearted comment is made and my kids have no idea what the person is talking about. I love that moment because what it tells me is that their innocence hasn't been violated as it relates to evil yet. Everybody else is like, oh, I laugh at those things. But Paul uses a practical explanation to help us to understand that as it, as it relates to evil things, yeah, be innocent. But when it comes to the work of the Holy Spirit, you can't, I can't think like a child. I have to be mature. In your thinking, you must be adults. Specifically, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, Paul is talking about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. In fact, the book of 1 Corinthians altogether is a letter of correction that Paul is writing to the church at Corinth because the church at Corinth is a very spiritual church. There's a lot of activity that is going on there. You got to understand the context is that you have, you have these Jewish believers who are in the church at Corinth and then you have all of these other people who come from lots of various uh, pagan religions. They're involved in all kinds of idolatry, all kinds of witchcraft, all kinds of spiritual activities. And these people coming out of this highly spiritual environment are becoming Christians. And as these people who are coming out of a highly legalistic religious environment and these people who come out of a highly spiritual, uh, uh, highly sensitive spiritual environment are coming together and forming the church, they start having all kinds of problems. But all of their problems really boils down to immaturity. 
Some of the religious people in their immaturity want to make the religious, uh, the, the, the rituals and the things that go on in the church, they want to make it all about them. We often read from Corinthians 11 about communion and about a taking of the Lord's table. And what was going on there was people were coming, they were coming to take the Lord's table, but they were getting drunk and they were being gluttonous and they made it all about them. The, the same thing in Corinthians 11 extends into Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, where what the main problem in the book of Corinthians was, the people wanted to make church and their spiritual activity and their religious activity about them instead of about God. And so all of these corrections that Paul was writing to the church at Corinth was really trying to get them to get their eyes off of themselves and to understand that the activity of the work of God in their life, whether it be through the ordinances of the church or it be through the gifts of the Holy Spirit, were really there so that they could minister to one another and to build each other up as the church. Now, we've learned some things about the Holy Spirit during this series. I'm going to go through them very, very quickly. I want you to know if, if you're here today and you haven't been here over the last couple of weeks, we always put up our, our podcasts from our previous messages on our website. They're posted online, so you can always go and catch those things if you've missed them. But very quickly, let me just review for you what we've learned about the Holy Spirit. Number one, the Holy Spirit is God. John chapter 14 Verses 15 through 17 says this, All this I have spoken while still with you. This is Jesus talking. But the advocate, the paraclete, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. So Jesus, acknowledging the third person in the Trinity, the Holy Spirit is God. And the Holy Spirit... God the Father and God the Son in work, in work, in unison with one another is going to continue to function and be at work with them, although Jesus' physical presence is going to leave them. But what we understand and what we've taught so far is that the work of the Holy Spirit, who the Holy Spirit is, is that he's God. And what he does is he amplifies Jesus. We know something is the Holy Spirit because it will always, always, always amplify Jesus. We've also learned together that the real measure of the Holy Spirit is inward transformation, not demonstration. In other words, so how I validate whether or not someone is truly walking in the Spirit has little to do with their gift because gifts are easy. Remember, 220 runs into that plug right over there. That's easy. Well, should be easy. There's a joke there, but some of you will get it later, much like load shedding. Uh, anyways, it should be easy, right? Power just comes to the plug. Power is easy. That just comes from God. The Holy Spirit lives inside of us. We all have the same access to 220. We all have the same access to power. Gifts is something else. Gift talks about how the vessel has been prepared and created, how the vessel has been formed to properly demonstrate the power that has come to it. The real measure of the Holy Spirit in a person's life is not the amount of power that comes to them because the same power 
comes to all of us, the Holy Spirit. As followers of Jesus Christ, the Bible makes it very clear that when we embrace Christ as our Lord and our Savior, the Holy Spirit takes up resident and lives inside of us. We all have the same Holy Spirit. We all have the same power. What we're going to get into today is that we've all been created and designed differently to dis- demonstrate that power. But how we measure whether or not as a church we receive from that person the power that's coming to them is really all about how mature they are. How do we know how mature they are? Well, we know how mature they are because inward transformation has taken place. They begin to demonstrate the fruit. Galatians chapter 5 verse 22 through 26 says this, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. This is where we ended up last week as we talked about the fact that oftentimes when a person is operating in their flesh, they exhibit, uh, they exhibit one end of an extreme uh, expression of the flesh. Either that, either that is uh, they exhibit their insecurity or they exhibit their pride and their arrogance. And we can always see when the flesh is operating. And previously to this verse that I just read to you, Paul outlines all of these acts of the flesh. And they generally can be, they can generally be grouped into one of these two categories either an expression of insecurity or an expression of pride and arrogance. Jesus talking again in Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 through 20 says this, Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. So in other words, we're not looking for their power. We're looking for their fruit. By their fruit, you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown in the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. We made this statement last week. We said this, every good, every gift of the Holy Spirit is filtered through the tree it grows on. So today as we move into talking about the gifts, understand every gift is filtered through the tree that it grows on. Now I want us to start looking at Corinthians today, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Paul's transitioned, as I said, into this conversation about how the gifts of the Spirit are operating in the church. And he he begins to bring um, really a word of correction to the church because you have all of these people who are highly sensitive to spiritual things. From their backgrounds, many of them have been involved in witchcraft. Many of them who maybe personally were not involved in witchcraft had in some form or another participated in witchcraft, either through their culture or cultural practices that they were a part of, in their sexual expression, in their city, or things that they had entangled themselves with. They had 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 some interaction with spiritual things. And so now they've come into the church and they have these spiritual antenna that are up. And so they're highly sensitive to spiritual things. They're used to flowing in and out of spiritual things, but they don't necessarily understand how the work of the Holy Spirit operates. And so you've got this really spiritual group of people, but they're not really mature. 
And so Paul is writing to them and he's wanting to bring to them some understanding of how they operate in the gifts of the Spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1-7 through seven says this, Now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. I, I uh, grew up in a church where uh, they read uh, the King James Version, um, and I loved the way they said it there. He said, uh, Paul said, I don't want you to be ignorant. And I'm from the South in the U.S., and so it's ignorant. You can't be ignorant. And I loved that. It just resonated with me. Don't be ignorant, boy. That's how I would hear Paul saying this, right? Don't be ignorant. Don't be uninformed. Don't not understand the gifts of the Holy Spirit. You know that when you were pagans, so now you understand I wasn't making all of this up. You know when you were pagans, somehow or other, you were influenced and led astray by mute idols. So this is what I was talking about before. Paul says, before you were believers, you were involved in witchcraft. And in that involvement in witchcraft, you developed a sensitivity to spiritual things. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus, be cursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in every one, it is the same God at work. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. So we're going to look at this passage today. In fact, we're going to look, uh, and I'm, I've got so much more material than I have time. And I'm going to ask you to take notes today because I'm probably going to challenge some things that perhaps you've never, uh, perhaps things that you've understood differently or maybe you've even uh, been taught differently or perhaps you've never been taught them. And so I'd encourage you maybe pull out your phone or pull out a notepad because I'm going to go through a lot of material really fast today. And it's something that you're going to want to go back and reflect on at a later time. And when you go back and you reflect on it, I want to encourage you to reflect on it based on scripture, not based on what you've always thought, not based on what you've always understood, not even based on what Pastor Randy says. It should be based on scripture. Specifically, I'm going to encourage you to read the book of 1 Corinthians. There's a lot of very challenging things in there. And if you focus on chapter 12, 13, and 14, it's going to talk a lot about uh, the gifts of the Holy Spirit in operation in the church. As followers of Jesus, here's what we can know. As followers of Jesus, living naturally, supernatural lives should be normative. Let me say this again. As followers of Jesus, living naturally, supernatural lives should be normative. Everything we see about the New Testament church is that they were people who were naturally supernatural. What do you mean by that, Pastor? How are they? What do you mean naturally supernatural? In other words, walking supernaturally was something that came natural to them as followers of Jesus Christ. Just like it's natural to you and I to breathe air. 
it's natural to us as followers of Jesus Christ to be supernatural, to operate in the supernatural. Because we have the Holy Spirit inside of us, it should not be foreign to us to operate in the Holy Spirit. It was natural to them. And so much of what we read in the New Testament church that was so about the New Testament church uh, in the epistles was that it just seemed to be natural and automatic to them that these gifts of the Holy Spirit were in operation, that they were operating in these different things. It wasn't like a, a big surprise to them when spiritual things happened. You following me? Paul was just, you know this stuff. You understand this stuff. In fact, their culture and their history before them raised or heightened their spiritual awareness. So supernatural things didn't freak them out. They were pretty comfortable with supernatural things. And now as followers of Jesus Christ, they should also be comfortable operating in the Holy Spirit. What we can know from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 13, and 14 is, is that the demonstration of the gifts of the Holy Spirit will align with God's word and will bring glory to Jesus. Remember that we've already talked about that. What does, what does the Holy Spirit do? Well, the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. And so whatever happens as it relates to the gifts of the Holy Spirit should be in alignment with God's word. It shouldn't contradict God's word. It shouldn't change God's word. It should be in alignment with God's word. And ultimately, it should bring glory to Jesus. It should point people back to Jesus. We learn from scripture that there is diversity in the function of the expression of the Holy Spirit, but not, get this, there's diversity in the function of the expression of the Holy Spirit, but not diversity in quality or quantity. Now this is, I told you, I'm gonna get into some things that may challenge your perception a little bit. But when Paul writes about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, what he writes is that within the body, there is this distribution of the gifts. And he says over and over again, and he uses a few different expressions, he says it doesn't matter what gift a person is operating in, it's the same spirit. Now earlier when I was talking about 220 comes to the wall, we all have the same access, we all have the same power. Some of you were looking at me like, mm, I don't know about that. Because... Because many of us have been taught and we've come to believe and we've brought to scripture our understanding coming from our own culture are because of a, I'm going to try to think of a really nice way of saying this, a misuse of scripture to reinforce man's desire for attention. We have believed that there are some people in the church who are more powerful than other people. The past, surely Pastor Andy has more power than I do. Many of us believe that stuff. We've been taught that stuff. We understand scripture that way. However, what the New Testament teaches us, what Paul teaches us, is that it's the same Holy Spirit. Let me ask you a question. If the Holy Spirit is God, and if the Holy Spirit lives in you just like he lives in me, how can I have more power than you? It's the same Holy Spirit. I have the same power that you have. My power is the Holy Spirit. It's not my power. 
I didn't do anything to get it. I don't do anything to deserve it. I don't do anything to earn it. I can't do anything to lessen it. It's the same Holy Spirit. It may operate in me differently. It may operate in me in a, and it may express itself differently, but as it relates to quality, it's the same Holy Spirit. Pastor Randy is not any more powerful than anyone else in this room. No one in this room is less powerful than anyone else if you are a follower of Jesus because the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. Man, you guys are going to shout me off the stage with this one. I told you I'm going to challenge. I'm, I'm, challenging, I'm challenging some of our prevailing beliefs based on Scripture. And I know that uh, that upsets some of our culture. But oftentimes our culture doesn't align with Scripture. And we've worshipped our culture instead of worshipping God. Thank you for saying amen. There's a few of you with me. And many of us have believed a lie that reinforces many of the same challenges that they were facing in the New Testament church because there are men and women who out of their insecurity or out of their own desire for power and attention and abuse of others have exalted themselves and twisted scripture, taken scripture out of context, taken Old Testament dispensation scripture and applied it to New Testament dispensation life and somehow or another created a mindset that they are more powerful than other people. And that's just not it. In Christ, in Christ, I'll put it this way, at the foot of the cross, the ground is level for everybody. It's the same Holy Spirit that operates in me as it is the little child who in kids' church for the very first time surrenders himself or herself to Jesus. The same Holy Spirit that is at work in them at that moment is at work in me. Now, what that looks like and how that operates is quite different. Now, we've already said this, and I, I, want to, I want to reinforce it. So if the same Holy Spirit is at work, and, and, and there's not more power or less power, how do, the, how do then we as a church determine whether or not we're going to embrace or accept someone using their gift? Well, it's simple. We've already talked about it. The way that we determine our acceptance of a person's gift is by their fruit. That's why the Bible talks about when, when it comes to causing people to be elders in the church or raising them up for ministry, there is this concept in Scripture that we don't push people to the front quickly because we need people to grow. We need people to mature. We need to see time for a person's fruit to be demonstrated in their lives. And it's by their fruit, do I know, are they spending more time in their flesh cooperating with their flesh? Are they spending more time cooperating with the Holy Spirit? Now, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul lists nine gifts of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to read them to you, and I'm going to, uh, I'm going to read these to you, and just, I'm not, I don't have time to go through them in a great amount of detail, but I am going to go through them just so that you can see them, the ones that he lists in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, but I, and I'm going to come back to uh, a couple of them and hit on them a little deeper to clarify some things that I, I think are some, some challenges that we face in the modern church. But Paul lists the gifts of the Holy Spirit uh, as in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, he lists the gift of faith, he lists the gift of healing, uh, the working of miracles. Uh, the discerning of spirits, different kinds of tongues, the interpretation of tongues. He lists the word of knowledge, and he lists um, the word of wisdom and the gift of prophecy. 
And like I said, I, I don't have possible time to go into each one of these in a tremendous amount of detail. But just to give a little bit of a quick hit on these, he, Paul was saying, look, these are the gifts of the Holy Spirit that are operating in the church. And he talks about the gift of faith. What is the gift of faith? It is the supernatural capacity by the Holy Spirit, the unction, the, the, the power, the, 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 ability, the capacity to believe God for something that you don't have it within yourself to believe God for. Now, I'm going to use myself as an example for some of these things today, not because I'm boasting or not because I, I want to put myself up front, but, but I'm the one up here and I just want to, I don't want to talk about other people, so I'll talk about myself because it's easier to do that. Because I promise you, I tell you about my mistakes a lot more than I tell you about the good stuff. And, but I'm going to use an example of some of these things where the Lord has used uh, me or Desiree in the gifts of faith. For instance, a recent one for us was when the opportunity to purchase this facility through our ministry partners and urban tribes of this facility, we, we, the, the opportunity came to buy uh, the building, but we did not have the money to buy the building. And something, I, I can't explain it. There's no way that I can explain to you. Just something rose up inside of me and it was like, yep, that's our building and we're going to buy it. And I remember the people who were around me. I'm like, I don't know where the money's going to come from, but the money's going to come. We're going to make an offer on this building, and the, we'll get the money. And something rose up inside of me just to believe God for the impossible. And I promise you, it was impossible. I had no idea. We had no idea where the funds were going to come from. But the gift of faith rose up. And so what began to happen was I just began to move forward as if what seemed impossible was going to happen. I can't explain that. Something that was a part of, uh, that was not a part of Randy rose up inside of Randy and caused Randy to have the capacity to take hold of something that seemed impossible. That's the gift of faith. And what you see sometimes with the gifts of the Holy Spirit, or oftentimes with the gift of the Holy Spirit, is that these gifts couple with one another. Or in other words, you see more than one operating at the same time. And what's beautiful and what Paul is trying to teach the New Testament church is if you guys will really get this, then what will happen is the Holy Spirit will start to activate in you as individuals as you're coming together as a body. And these gifts are going to come together to do incredible things. So in other words, someone may have the gift of faith while someone else may have have, for instance, the gift of healing, right? And the Holy Spirit supernaturally raises up inside of somebody, giving them the capacity to take hold of healing and begin to work the work of healing in somebody else's life while another person is there with the gift of faith to bolster the belief that God, in fact, is going to heal. And what he's trying to describe for them is instead of one person over here saying, ooh, let me start a faith ministry, and anyone who needs faith, come running to me and I'll write a book. I'll start a podcast. Oh, by the way, I need 1995 rands for every time you want me to pray with you. And this person over here and I have my healing ministry and let me go all over the world because I'm a healer. And this person over here has their prophecy ministry. And instead of all of this where everybody's bringing attention to themselves, what Paul is trying to describe is, you know, when you, when you guys begin to come together, the gift of faith starts to connect with the gift of healing. And then all of a sudden people in the church are seeing things happen in their lives. Miracles, the gift of miracles is, again, it's just the supernatural capacity by the Holy Spirit to take hold of impossible things and cause them to become possible. 
And you can see how gift of faith operating with a gift of miracles starts coming together and God does incredible things. So you have gift of faith, gift of healing, gift of miracles, um, discerning of spirits. This is significantly important when you're in a highly spiritualized environment. And it is this idea that somehow or another, the Holy Spirit gives an individual the capacity to see into the spirit realm and specifically to know what spirit is at work in an environment. Now, I'm not talking about calling it by name. Oh, that's the spirit Bob or Joe or Sue Ann. No, we're talking, is this the Holy Spirit or is this a demonic spirit? Is this the Holy Spirit or is this an evil spirit? And why is this significant? It's important to understand this because the church can easily get confused. Remember in the book of Acts, there were a couple examples of when people were operating and, and people became, uh, people could become confused about what was happening as people were operating in demonic spirits, but it could have appeared as though they were operating in a gift of the Holy Spirit. Remember, there was a time when the apostles were going around and doing ministry, and there was this slave girl who was possessed by a familiar spirit, and she began to follow the apostles around, and everywhere they went, she was saying, oh, these guys are apostles, these guys are apostles, and it sounded like what she was saying was good, but actually it was a work of the enemy to try to reveal the identity of the apostles and to stir up their, their antagonistic relationship with those people at the temple and to get these guys in trouble. And finally, the apostles realized that this was a familiar spirit, which is a concept that we see throughout scripture. And the apostles turned around and they delivered this, this woman from this demonic spirit. See, many of us believe just because somebody can tell us something that it's, there's no way for them to know that, or we think there's no way for them to know that, that must be from God. But there are a lot of people there are a lot of people who are used by familiar spirits, spirits that are not from God, that have access to information that they themselves personally shouldn't have or don't have or wouldn't have, but it hasn't come to them by the Holy Spirit. It's come to them through a familiar spirit or a demonic spirit. I've seen so many Christians who have been taken in by people who were able to tell them things that they shouldn't know, and they say, oh, that must be God. And then what happens is that person has a tendency to lace in scripture or like this girl that we find in the book of Acts to say, oh, those are men of God and pretend as if what they're saying or doing is holy when in fact they're working on behalf of the enemy, not on behalf of God. This is why, this is why the gift of discernment of spirits is so important is to have the capacity to see in the spirit and to know is this of the Holy Spirit or is this an evil spirit? Then we see the gift of different kinds of tongues. Then we see the gift of interpretation of tongues. I wish I had a lot of time here, and I'll talk about some of this a little bit more next week. We see when it comes to the gift of tongues is this supernatural empowerment and capacity by the Holy Spirit to speak in a language that you do not know. And Scripture seems to indicate that there are two ways that that happens, either a language that is an earthly known language that you do not know or a heavenly language and an angelic language that you do not know. But the gift of tongues, is the capacity to pray to speak in a language that you don't know. And the gift of interpretation of tongues is the capacity to interpret that language in a public setting so that the church can know what was being said. Then we see the word of knowledge. 
Then we see the word of wisdom. Then we see the gift, of, uh, the gift of prophecy. The word of knowledge is that capacity, again, to know things, to, have, to receive information uh, that, you, that you may not know. There's no way for you to know that on your own. The word of wisdom is to know direction from God. God speaking into a situation. This is what would be right. This is what would be good. This is what would be helpful. And then, of course, the gift of prophecy, which we're going to speak a little bit more about. 1 Corinthians chapter 14 goes on to give us a descriptive understanding of the gifts of the Holy Spirit in operation in a local church. It's fascinating. You have 1 Corinthians chapter 12 when Paul starts talking about this diversity of gifts in the body along with this equal distribution of the Spirit, a diversity in the distribution of how the gifts operate or how they manifest themselves in the church. But at the end of, of chapter 12, and as he goes into chapter 13, he says again, listen, all of this is wonderful, all of this is great, but without love, it's just a bunch of noise. We all know 1 Corinthians chapter 13. All of us who forget it, just go to a wedding and you'll hear it quoted right? It's always there. We all love learning about love, but the whole conversation and clarity about love comes in the context of a spiritual church and spiritual people who were immature. And it was a correction to people to say, I don't care how spiritual you are. If you don't have love, you don't have the fruit and you're just making noise. And if you're a mature church, you're going to silence the noisemakers. People who don't have love, we don't listen to them. We don't pay attention to them. We're looking for their fruit. So sandwiched in this conversation on gifts and clarity on gifts is this whole discord on love because really without love, it's a bunch of noise. As 1 Corinthians chapter 14 gives this description, what we learn from 1 Corinthians chapter 14 is that the gifts of the Holy Spirit should not bring confusion. Paul wrote 1 Corinthians to correct the church because there was a lot of confusion going on, specifically around, in this particular case, the gift of tongues and the gift of prophecy. And there were people who were out of line and they were out of order. There also was some cultural phenomenon that was going on within the church as you had a clashing of cultures coming together. And around this clashing of culture, there were some different ideas about how women should operate. And so what you see in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 is Paul addressing these issues. Now, it's important to understand that when Paul writes to us in 1 Corinthians at large, but specifically as we get into chapter 12, 13, and 14, that Paul was writing to us something that was descriptive, not prescriptive. Something that was descriptive, not prescriptive. In other words, we don't interpret 1 Corinthians 12 and 14 specifically as Paul saying, this is the only way it can ever be in any church at any time ever in history. In fact, it's so fascinating to me, specifically around 1 Corinthians chapter 14, is, you know, there's different factions within the church, and they all have certain things that they get really excited about. And there's a certain faction in the church that loves to keep women subjugated. And they go to 1 Corinthians chapter 14, and they take 1 Corinthians chapter 14 out of context, and they say, all women always just have to be quiet in the church. Now, they, re they, they forget everything else that is saying in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. They would never allow anyone to speak in tongues. They 
they would never allow anyone to prophesy. They say, oh yeah, that was for then. But women being quiet, yeah, we got to do that right now. People love to inconsistently interpret scripture. One of the first things that you need to learn as to whether or not I'm going to listen to a preacher or a teacher is do they consistently interpret scripture or do they only pick their favorite parts out to make the point that they want to make? And if they're only picking their favorite parts out and they don't want to deal with the hard points, are they inconsistently interpret scripture? Then you know, hey, this is a false teacher. I don't need to listen to what they're saying. And so what you see in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 is inconsistent interpretation of 1 Corinthians chapter 14. What we understand, and the only way that you can interpret it consistently is to understand that this was a descriptive thing that Paul was talking about, not a prescriptive thing. In other words, this wasn't something that was the way it had to be for all churches at all times. Paul, in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, makes it very clear to us that the gifts of the Holy Spirit are not for self-gratification and self-glory. Specifically around the issue of tongues and the issue of prophecy, Paul confronted the idea of self-gratification and self-glory. Because the gift of tongues, Paul clarifies in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, when it's used in the context of the body, if there is no interpretation, there's no value for it in the body. This is why Pastor Randy doesn't pray in tongues on the microphone. Well, is this a spirit-filled church? Do people pray? Yeah, of course I pray in tongues. Like Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, I would that you all pray in tongues. But Paul says in the context of community, in the context of the body, if tongues are not interpreted, they bring confusion. This is why I'm not yelling in the microphone on, in tongues. Unless I'm going to interpret those tongues, what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 is that if an unbeliever walks into this place and this crazy guy is up on the stage yelling in some language that they don't know, they're going to walk out of here and say, those people are crazy. No, they'll feel the power of God. No, they, I start yelling. That's me yelling. That's nothing to do with the power of God. That's just me being emotional. Let's not confuse or wrap up Randy's emotion or Randy's persona with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God. Please stop taking it lightly. He's God. And so Paul says, unless it's going to be interpreted, it's not for use in the public context. It is at use. Paul says, pray in the Spirit. That's wonderful because when you pray in the Spirit, you're praying beyond your understanding. Friend, there's so many times that I have no idea what to pray or how to pray, and I pray in the Spirit because that is the Spirit praying through me. That's wonderful. That's a tremendous gift. Paul said, I would that you all pray in tongues. He said, I pray in tongues more than all of you. There's nothing wrong with praying in tongues. He said, in fact, 1 Corinthians 14 says, don't withhold, don't stop people from praying in tongues. Encourage them to do so. But understand, for it to be decent and in order in the body, for it not to be about themselves, unless it's going to be interpreted, Paul says specifically, they need to pray in tongues to themselves. Because otherwise, they're creating confusion. So he was dealing with tongues, but he was also dealing with prophecy. He said, listen, prophecy is not about the one prophesying. It's not to bring attention to the one prophesying. It actually, it actually is there. It is there to point people to Jesus. The one who operates in the gift of prophecy speaks to a person for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. 
So when prophecy is at work in the context of the local church, it's not so the prophet draws an audience. It's not so that people say, ooh, there's Pastor Randy and he's a prophet. Everybody look at him. That is the exact opposite of what the Holy Spirit is doing in our lives. The Holy, we should disappear so that Jesus could be seen through us. So pastor, how do I know? How do we know if it's genuinely, biblically the gift of prophecy? Well, there it is, strengthening, encouraging, comforting. When the gift of prophecy is at work in the context of the local church, that's what it will be doing. It's not fortune telling. Please stop chasing people who will give you your fortune. Please stop chasing people who are operating in a familiar spirit but clothing themselves with a Bible and taking it out of context and then fleecing you for an offering. Please, it's witchcraft. Let's be more mature than that in the body of Christ. Let's be more mature than that in the body of Christ. Let's stop chasing people that we don't know their fruit and begging them for a word that they claim to be from God. Let's be the body of Christ. Let's be the church. Let's be in discipling relationships with one another. Let's come into this place one Sunday after another, prepared to minister with one, to one another, not running after a microphone or running after a stage. Listen, a person who genuinely loves you and cares about you and wants to minister to you with strengthening, encouraging, and comfort doesn't need a stage and doesn't need a microphone and doesn't need a spotlight if they're ministering for Jesus to you it's never about them man that's good right there if they're ministering to you from Jesus it's never about them the context of this whole conversation about these gifts is the body operating together and Paul says listen i he all of 1 Corinthians 14 says all of you prophesy operate in this gift in your public gatherings the best things that can happen is that you're operating in this does this mean i'm going to get up and thus saith the word of the lord listen maybe you don't understand this but all, there's, there's very few weeks that go by that you don't hear prophecy at this church. When Desra says, you know, I was praying this week and the Lord said this to me, that's prophecy. She didn't, oh, God said, she, her voice doesn't even make that sound. <laughs> she didn't contort herself. When one of our worship team begins to sing over us encouragement and strength and comfort, that's prophecy. It doesn't have to be this big show. It's the voice of God speaking over us, something that lifts us as a body. And Paul says, in the context of the church, unless tongues are going to be interpreted, because when tongues are interpreted, they're equal in their, they're equal in their value. Now, now, people get confused about this. They read, again, because I don't... People read this and they, they, take, they take a word out of context. When Paul talks about uh, tongues being lesser uh, than prophecy, he's not saying that it's a lesser gift. He's saying that it's lesser in its value in the context of the body. 
I would that you all pray in tongues, but if you're going to pray in tongues, if you're going to speak in tongues in the body, then it needs to be interpreted. If it's interpreted, then it has equal value to prophecy because everyone understands. And he's specifically concerned about unbelievers who may come into the context of the community and not know what's going on. Our church doesn't need to be seats or sensitive, pastor. We just need to get in here and we just need to have a Holy Ghost good time. You know what that is? Spiritual self-gratification. The first seeker-sensitive person was Paul. Paul said, stop causing confusion when people come into your gatherings who are unbelievers. Be mature. And he specifically says, let things happen in decency and in order. So that even if an unbeliever comes into your midst, they can also receive. Let me clarify really quickly. Um, because a lot of times people are confused between the gifts of the Holy Spirit, specifically the gift of prophecy, and gifts that Jesus gives to the church as leadership gifts that you find in Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4 verses 11 and 12 says, So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body may be built up. So understand, I'm going to talk about prophecy. Understand that the gift of prophecy is a gift of the Holy Spirit to the whole body. Paul said, I want you all to prophesy. Then Paul gave some specific instructions for the church at Corinth, and he said two or three, maybe prophesy when you're together. Now, does that mean that every church at all times throughout all history in every context can only have two or three people prophesy in every service they ever have? No, we don't, we don't embrace that. What we understand from 1 Corinthians chapter 14 is that the church must operate in decency and order and in their context for their space and their time, no matter uh, in their gathering of people, they need to figure out what will work in such a way that the body is ministered to and the body is built up. Imagine a stadium with 60,000 people. If, if you just allowed everybody who wanted to prophesy in that context to prophesy, then how in the world would anything ever make sense now imagine if we said oh because there's 60,000 people here we're never gonna we're not gonna speak the word of God at all no Paul is just saying that in your context wherever you are whatever your situation is let there be let there be decency and order in that context and that's the gift of prophecy and it operates in the body and everybody every community has to decide and determine what is decency what is order but let it be at work don't withhold people from using their gifts let people use their gifts. But understand that there's a difference between the gift of prophecy that all of the body has access to and the prophet in Ephesians chapter 4. That's different. And a lot of times there's confusion because somebody who operates in the gift of prophecy thinks, oh, I'm a prophet now. So that means I need a title. I need a business card. I need a stage. I need a microphone. You know, there's the body ministry of prophecy, but then there's the Ephesian 4 office of prophet. Some people use the word office, office of prophet. Well, what does that mean? Well, I can tell you what it doesn't mean is that an Ephesian 4 prophet is not the same thing as an Old Testament prophet. 
It's not the same thing. The Old Testament prophets were at a specific time in history and had a specific uh, dispensation and office and function for God's people at that time in history. Now we have New Testament prophets who are leaders in the church, and, and, and the Bible makes it very, very clear. What do they do? A New Testament prophet's primary concern is to equip the church. Not to have a big ministry, not to have a big stage, not to have people come to them and give them cars and Cadillacs and money so that they can receive a word from God. No, 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 no. Their primary concern is to equip the church. Where do you get that from? Well, I get it from the Bible. I get it from Ephesians chapter 4 that says that Jesus gave these gifts to the church and their job is to equip his people for works of service. So a New Testament prophet, not just someone who has the gift of prophecy, but someone who has the leadership gift of prophet's function is to equip the body to operate in their spiritual gifts, to serve the Lord, not to build their own ministry, but to build Jesus' church. Thank you, Kirshen. Why? So that the body may be built up. What is the purpose? So that the body may be built up. The New Testament also gives us some clarity that oftentimes the uh, office, the, the leadership gift of apostle and prophet operate together in the functioning of the uh, launching of new churches and launching of new ministries. The Bible talks about it being the foundations upon which the church is built. We know that the apostolic gift is not there to walk around and have a gathering and people to carry his Bible and, and all of that sort of stuff. And, and, and we, an, a, an apostle in Ephesians chapter 4 is not the same thing as as the 12 apostles, that was a specific demonstration, uh, dispensation of time with specific people who had a specific purpose. A New Testament Ephesians 4 apostle is basically a person who launches and plants churches and ministries that forwards the kingdom of Jesus, not their own kingdom. They often operate in tandem with the office of prophet as they launch and work in new ministries. But always, 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 always the purpose is to equip the church, to equip you to do the ministry. Not that they're the star, but that Jesus is the star through you. Amen. We started the message this way, and it's the point that Paul is making, 1 Corinthians 13, 12, 13, 14. A person's mindset about the gifts reveals their maturity. Paul says, listen, these gifts are for you. How they operate, how they function, how the Holy Spirit chooses to manifest himself among you is going to be different. You're going to have different gifts. They're going to operate. They're going to function in different ways. Romans chapter 12 talks about gifts of grace and even lists some other gifts. They're going to look different. They're going to be distributed differently among you. And someone who is mature doesn't get their feelings hurt because they're not operating in the same gift as somebody else. Someone who is mature doesn't become prideful and arrogant because they have a gift that's operating in their life instead of somebody else. Someone who is mature understands it's not about me. It's about the body. And it's because of Jesus. 
And so everything I say and I do is not for my own good or my own gain or even so that I can be, even so that I can be pushed into the spotlight or I can feel better about myself or I can be gratified or I can have my needs met or I can have my ministry title. No, instead, it's about Jesus. And then there's that really difficult part, 1 Corinthians 14, where Paul says, listen, all the ladies just need to be quiet. We don't like talking about that thing. We don't like talking about that. We just... Those of us who, who've been freed in Christ, we don't like talking about that stuff, especially right around Women's Day. Like Somebody's like, how in the world is this dude preaching for 1 Corinthians 14 right around Women's Day? What's wrong with him? No, here's the thing. You've got to understand, the context there was, ladies, listen, you could be offended or you can understand the severity of what it means, the actuality of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Paul was actually asking the women in that church to be quiet at church because if they were vocal, even though they may be gifted, if they were vocal because of the context that they were in, their being vocal in the context of the community, in the context of the church, was actually going to be a hindrance to the gospel. We have friends who serve in contexts that as a result of the context that they serve in, the ladies have to wear head coverings. They have to dress a certain way. We have friends that because of the situation in which they serve, they have to comport how they behave, how they talk, how they act, because they being themselves are doing what is comfortable to them, or even expressing their gift would be a hindrance to the effectiveness of the gospel in that context. The most mature understanding that you could possibly have of 1 Corinthians chapter 14 is this, is understanding that in spite of your gifts, in spite of your preferences, in spite of your needs, in spite of your desire for self-expression, nothing nothing should get in the way of the effectiveness of the gospel. Now praise Jesus in heaven that in Durban, South Africa, ladies, you can be as loud as you want to be. We got no problem with that here. But I'm not going to promise you, I'm not going to tell you that God may not call you Woman, man, young, old, rich, poor, loud, quiet, whatever may be the case. I'm not going to promise you that God may not call you to a context and a community in which you may have to comport yourself or even your gifts or preferences so that the gospel may be effective. The truth, the truth of scripture is exactly that. That it's not about us. That's what 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14 is all about. It's not about you. And it's not because of you. It's the Holy Spirit. And what the Holy Spirit wants to do is to bring people into alignment with God's truth and to reveal Jesus to them. And anything that gets in the way of that needs to sit down and be quiet. 
Man, that's good preaching. It's good preaching because it's the word. Let's pray and I'm gonna dismiss you and pray over you. Lord, thank you for my friends that are here today. Thank you for the work that you're doing in, New, in, in North Place Church. Thank you, Lord, because we are a New Testament church. We believe that your spirit is at work. We don't believe that you have ceased to work. Holy Spirit, we know that you are active and we also know that we live in a spiritual environment and there's a lot of confusion and there's a lot of witchcraft. And so, Lord, we as your people, we don't need to be entangled and we don't need to be confused but instead Holy Spirit we need to be sensitive to you we need to know you and so Holy Spirit we surrender ourselves to you this week we ask you to be with us we ask you to empower us and to enable us to minister the heart of the Father the work of Jesus in our families on our jobs in our cities Stir up within us the gifts of the Spirit this week. Use us in an incredible way as we point people to you, Jesus. We ask it in your name. Amen and amen. God bless you.